0: Hello and welcome to the TES FE Podcast. My name is Kate Parker and I'm joined by Julia Baughtai. Hello. And Julia, this is our final podcast of the year. Can you believe it?
1: I can't. Well, I can I can certainly <laughs> believe 2020 is finally nearly over, but um I can't believe it's the final podcast.
0: I know, and you know, this year we've had some wonderful guests join us, um, kind of to discuss everything from Gavin Williamson's landmark FE speech way back in the summer, which seems like that was years ago. We had um, Amanda Mountain talk about the colleges the future, uh, and obviously we had Joe Grady talk about the chaos of the summer exams and, you know, everything else that followed that. Um, but for this week's podcast, you've just got Julie and I. We're going to have a bit of a natter about our favourite or, you know, at least the most memorable stories of the year in what's been probably the craziest year anyone could ever have imagined. Indeed. So we both picked three stories each that we think, you know, have been the most memorable for us. So Julia, do you want to start off with your first story?
1: Yeah, I mean, my first story uh, is one that we ran back in April, which was when the Institute for Apprenticeships uh, released nursing apprentices that were towards the end of their training and were just waiting for the endpoint assessment, released them to the front line to help support the fight against COVID. Um, This was the end of what I understand to have been quite a lengthy progress process between the NHS and the IFA and a lot of back and forth. And so in the end, it seemed like quite a bureaucratic measure to say they don't have to do the APA right now, they can assume their apprenticeship to be completed. But it isn't that at all, is it? It's, you know, thousands of very often very young men and women yeah. uh, ending their training early to join the frontline in the middle of what was then the first lockdown and a pandemic that, you know, none of us had, had seen before in that way. And I just remember being incredibly impressed with, you know, their willingness to go and put themselves out there and their willingness to go and fight this pandemic on the front line when, you know, many like me would have probably run the other way, you know, given yeah. the choice. And I know you at the time, Kate, spoke to one of the apprentices who was in exactly that position.
0: Yeah. She, do you know, she was absolutely amazing. Um, she, was actually been named one of our um, People of the Year this year in the overall TES list, you know, representing the thousands of nursing apprentices who did, just as she said. And, you know, she was saying to me that, she, of course, she was terrified. It's terrifying for anybody. You know, it's such an upheaval for them to, you know, they go to university, you know, one day a week or twice a week, and then they're at the hospital the other three days a week, to suddenly have your university, um, you know, work pause like that, and all of a sudden you're, bam, in five days a week into, into working you know, on the front line of COVID. It's just, I think it was terrifying for them, but, you know, she didn't run the other way when um, when she got an email from a Lee to say, we need volunteers on the COVID ward. She said to me that there was no doubt in her mind that she was going to do it, even though actually both her parents were quite old. So I think maybe, you know, in their seventies. Um, so obviously kind of, you know, make huge personal sacrifices. She hadn't been in the same room as her father for, for weeks. Um, and you know she was telling me when she came home she used to have to you know bag her scrubs up in one bag and then put them in another bag, have a shower as soon as she got home, wash her scrubs that night for the next day. It just you know but, and she so she was only you know twenty twenty one um it's just she was really inspirational, and I think all everybody in that position you know they just went above and beyond what you'd expect from a student from a student nurse.
1: And it's, you know, that's considering, I mean, now it feels like the pandemic has been going on for years, but at that time, you know, there was even more uncertainty than there is now. No one was entirely clear how the pandemic would play out. No one was entirely clear how much risk these people working in the healthcare system would would be under, you know, how much of a risk to their own health would this be? How successful would treatment be? You know, they were really willing to jump into what was an incredibly scary, uncertain situation. So, So I just... That was certainly one of the stories that stuck in my mind. And as you mentioned, um, we had chosen uh, them as uh, one of our 10 people of the year for for this year for that reason. So yeah. Kate, what is one of the stories that stands out to you then?
0: So for me, um, maybe not as well. It's a different kind of exciting, I would say. Um, it was really the Nay Report that was published in July um, this was something that the set had been waiting for for ages. You know, actually on the report itself, the date was October 2019. And we had it It felt like we'd
1: been waiting years, certainly.
0: Yeah. And obviously it came off the back of everything that had happened at Hadlow and West Kent and Ashford. Um, so, I mean, the report itself is pretty damning of the DFE and the SFA. Um, You know, quotes included things like, uh, you know, the The nature of the current regime um, had resulted in a finan- in a relationship between government and the sector, which was largely focused on financial failure, um, and that colleges basically weren't confident enough to be able to go to the ESFA and DfE when they felt like maybe problems were just beginning to arise. Um, you know, it it was really, tr- really, really troubling reading. Um, although, actually, you know, as as people who've been covering the sector for a while, we know that probably not surprising, <laughs> but still troubling nonetheless. Um and at the time, you know, Toby Perkins, the shadow um apprenticeships and lifelong minister, he was saying that Effie, you know, that the government needed to take really, really strict and urgent action to kind of stop Effie from drifting towards bankruptcy more colleges. Um and obviously, you know, as we both reported, we know that college finances have got worse because of COVID. You know, colleges are having to pay for all sorts of things, PPE, cleaning costs, you know. It's just we've, we've published story after story about college leaders being worried about finances, haven't we?
1: Well, absolutely. And, you know, I can't see that getting any better. And there's this sort of feeling that a lot of this is down to bad financial management at some point. You know, at some point along the way, something went wrong in these colleges. And inevitably, that is true for a lot of them, particularly those that hit the headlines and where then there's a big leadership change. But it's certainly fair to say that more and more colleges, even those with quite solid leadership, are really struggling financially. And that then leaves everyone in an incredibly difficult position because, you know, as you would expect and as they should, staff feel that their pay at this point is too low. They feel their pay needs to needs to increase. They want to see a fair pay increase after years of absolutely nothing. Um, and it's only, what, a matter of weeks since we reported on where that negotiation is is going, which is not well, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, fair right to say. And and so, you know, you wonder where the sector can go without a really serious injection of finance from government. Um, but then also, you know, government will say they're spending money on all sorts of things. COVID is costing a huge amount of money. We probably shouldn't expect too much extra cash at this point.
0: No, I just think it's so worrying, you know, in November, um, the SFA were in front of the public accounts committee, and they said that they had 64 colleges were struggling with cash days left. Like you said, this isn't a small number of colleges who maybe, you know, things have gone wrong with leadership. 64 colleges is actually a huge amount of colleges within a sector that's maybe got, what, around 300 colleges? Um, you know, it's just so scary to think that so many colleges are, are living like that. And, you know, this week we had the news about the mass testing as well. And although... You know, the government have said that colleges will be reimbursed for any costs that may occur to them through that. There's still a lot of discussion on Twitter from so many leaders worrying about, do colleges even have the money to front this in the first place and then to be reimbursed for it? I mean, Some we all know that feeling, that don't, don't
1: we? Cash. We, I mean, yeah. we all know that feeling, don't we, when you, when you have to pay for something up front and you're not entirely sure whether there's yeah, actually yeah. enough in the bank to do that. You put, you put, you put and I'm your sure
0: expenses that... in and you're waiting months and months and months for... For it to come into you, then that's that's a horrible situation to be in. As much as, you know, I think everybody recognises that mass testing in colleges is, is a good idea. Um, it's kind of the financial implications of that is just stressful and worrying in the last week of term. I feel so, like
1: college finance is certainly something that we will be reporting an awful lot about in twenty twenty one.
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, well, obviously I don't think it's definitely worth keeping the Nay report in mind. I think at all times when reporting on these sorts of things, and it will be interesting to see what the upcoming FE White paper has to say about it. Whenever, whenever we receive that, well, I think you say upcoming. <laughs> you know,
1: although although Julian <laughs> King did say to me uh, only a few days ago that um, it is definitely coming, it is in the very final stages, and she is expecting it early next year. I tried to press her a little bit on that and I said, you know, what does early mean? Does it mean January, February, Easter? But she wasn't drawn on that. She just said, I expect it early next year. So we can all uh, Yes. Raise well, a
0: glass we'll to be, that you know, in New Year. It won't be a Christmas present for us. We don't
1: <laughs> I, I highly doubt it. I, I mean I've been wrong a couple of times this year, but I would be very surprised.
0: Yes. Um, and so go on, your next story. My
1: next story is I could have picked any uh, of at least three or four stories on this topic. Um, for this. But my next story is GCSE resits 20 colleges will see cohorts of over 500, which we ran uh, in October. Again, that feels like absolute months ago. And this was um, concerns from uh, particularly the AOC, but college leaders across the board really around the English and Maths resit exams, November series, which um, were in overall numbers, probably not massively bigger than they would have been in past years, because we know that hundreds and hundreds of students sit their GCSEs in, in November in colleges. Very unlike schools in that regard. But what was different this year was that some colleges were seeing really big increases in student numbers for this November series, where obviously the government had given everyone the opportunity to resit to sit their exam, having not been able to sit an exam in the summer. Um, and this then came with really serious public health concerns from colleges saying, you know, we're going to have to space these people out further. We're going to need Bigger rooms, they need to all be further apart. We are not entirely clear how we can get them in and out of the exam hall safely. There were all sorts of concerns around this, and there seemed to be a distinct sort of feeling among many that this was yet another occasion where the sort of role of colleges had been very much an afterthought. You know this whole November exam series had kind of been set out for college for for schools and for school pupils to make up for the fact there hadn't been an exam in the summer. But there had been very little consideration on how this would play out in FE institutions that commonly see hundreds and hundreds of people sitting English and maths that, you know, also would now have to think much more carefully about what they normally do in many cases, which is put people on buses and bus them across town into town halls and gyms to have them sit the exam. You know, how do you do that safely? It it felt very much like a sort of ant colleges moment where something had been set out for the school sector that then really came to bite the FE sector. Um, and that story very much sticks in my mind.
0: Yeah, I think as well it is kind of it's just a continuation of you know in the summer when when they were told they were needed to rank all their students from one to you know how many they have you know in in schools if you have a class of thirty you can see how that is doable but for many colleges they have cohorts of literally like we said you know hundreds and thousands of students researching GCSE English and Maths. I spoke to teachers who had spent hours and hours and hours ranking their students and it, it is just kind of that you know it is that and colleges afterthought of the the department just doesn't really seem to think through how these big changes are, are going to affect colleges it it's it's the same with the january exams as well you know in, in january you've got one hundred and thirty thousand students in colleges sitting exams and yet the summer exams have been delayed by you know a week or two weeks but yet these january exams are going to go ahead on the first week of term back and colleges haven't really had any support on how to you know financial support just support for for you know for leaders to say how you should host them how you should go about it it just it's just that lack of consideration isn't it
1: and they i mean they haven't had any support but think about what this must be like if you are a student due to sit a january exam you know you you're Sort of isolating you, keeping away from people over Christmas and New Year, and then you're straight into college to do these exams, and it, it's it is just even if this isn't what happened, even if this isn't that they were simply sort of again forgotten about. There really is very clearly no thinking about how this will land with the sector. You know, there's no yeah. consideration for how this will land with the thousands of young people that have had quite the year. You know, to then come into January and sit an exam in completely uncertain circumstances, that would be much harder for their teachers to prepare them for because they don't have weeks and weeks with them beforehand. You know, there's basically no run up time at all. Yeah. And I just, I really, I do feel for anyone teaching in an FE college who's preparing young people or older learners for their January exams. And I very much feel for any student who has to consider doing that
0: yeah we wish them all the best of luck with with all that going on in January, yes,
1: although I wouldn't um, be surprised if there was more uh information from government at some point. you know it wouldn't be the first u turn
0: we've seen no it wouldn't it wouldn't we'll see what happens with that my um my next story uh is um you know it's kind of from springtime when colleges first started to close for covid and you know there was all this talk about how um teaching would happen teaching learning would happen online. And, you know, you could see how it was going to be challenging for everybody, you know, schools and colleges. But perhaps it was a little bit easier to see how you could teach English, history, geography online, you know, whereas actually for colleges, their vocational lessons, you know, bricklaying, hair and beauty, (laughs) cooking, all these things that are so practical and the reason why all these students go to these colleges in the first place, because they have such a huge practical element of it how frankly the how do you teach that online we were just we, I just thought this is going to be impossible what is going to happen but actually as always you know the wonderful sector of Effie really went above and beyond to make sure that she didn't did miss out so I spoke to um, a number of teachers for a series we did about how to teach vocation online um, so I just want to give some of them a bit of a shout out so we had Siobhan Sweet which I think is probably the best name ever for a petitionary lecturer I mean you couldn't get better suited than that so she streamed uh lessons from her kitchen um it was around easter time, so she streamed lessons on how to make hot crust buns um she streamed how to make incredible easter eggs they looked i was about to say i
1: very much remember the chocolate easter eggs
0: yeah they were kind of you know hotel chocolat plus 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 these these eggs that she created it was amazing um, and actually, it wasn't just students from our college that joined in on that. She had people joining in from all around the world, which I think you know she herself was quite surprised by. Um, and then we had the agriculture team at Aberton and Whitney College. They filmed themselves doing things like grooming their dogs. They got uh, students to film themselves and then bucking out their horses. Um, they put cameras into the animal pens so students could analyse animal behaviour from home. Um, we also had... Joe Foreman, who is a sports coach who, you know, streamed workouts from his living room. He was jumping up and down, had all his students on screen doing the same with him. Um, There's Siobhan Argyle, you know, some of you may know her for her singing abilities, but she also um, teaches Spanish to adults and she built this wonderful community of adults who came together one evening a week to learn Spanish and did it in all sorts of weird and wacky ways. Um, and then, of course, there's Alana as well, who was also one of our People of the Year this year. So she, I mean, her makeup is absolutely incredible. What she can do is amazing. So she, um, you know, went online and transformed herself into all sorts of different people. Um, she had, I think the Queen was one, maybe. Uh, who's the man that walked around his garden for the But she had sort of more and Moore. she had Boris
1: Johnson and then Lewis Capaldi obviously got her a bit of fame yeah. because he then tweeted her about that and she was then on all the big sort of morning T V programmes.
0: Yeah. With Phil and Holly, yeah, she was on with them. Um and you know, it just she, I think she just first really, really represented how FE colleges and the you know, the lecturers had really gone and above me on to make sure their students wouldn't miss out when you say Julia. No,
1: absolutely. And when when I talked to her about making the list of 10 people of the year, she was, uh, you know, incredibly pleased. But she also, the first thing she said was, this is a team effort. You know, I wasn't the only one who did anything like that. Everyone in my department worked really hard to make online and blended learning work for for our students. But what her story did, and what a lot of the stories did that you just mentioned, was it it sort of took FE and the practical learning that happens in colleges all the time, face to face, well, not this year, but you know what I mean in general yeah. times, um it took that to a much broader audience. you know, it took that to Phil and Holly, and it took that on every other national newspaper and broadcast um and people saw how great the skills are that these lecturers have in their chosen subject. You know, she was really quite scary as Boris Johnson, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. you know it was just astonishing the way she turned her face into literally just about anyone, but what that did is it showed the sort of level of excellence that exists in in the fe sector so um it was just really lovely to see and i really loved that series that you did on vocation subjects and how they were being delivered during during lockdown there were quite a few in there that i would have thought you can't possibly get any learning across and it turns out you can, can and they did um well and then my final pick for the year is again one that i fear we might be coming back to over and over again uh, next year which was uh a story from october where Gillian Keegan told us that she believed that T-level placement can be done and the challenge can be overcome in terms of finding places for that practical in-work placement that is such a crucial part of the new T-levels, um, but that so many people are worried about because obviously a lot of workplaces are closed at the moment. Even those that aren't closed, is probably not right at the forefront of their mind to bring in a whole load of college students for placements, never mind the fact that it may not be possible for social distancing reasons. Um but the minister insists and insisted again and in our asked the Minister session last week that this can be done and it's not that big a challenge and it will be completely fine. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I just, I, I can't just, see it.
0: I, I just, it, I just find it a bit mind boggling, actually, when, if you consider what's happened this year, you know, me and you are sat here speaking to each other on Zoom um, we've both worked from home for the majority of the year. I so mean, I haven't seen many... you since
1: about February, in real. No, yeah,
0: not in person. It's and you know, so many offices have moved online. And I spoke to um, a couple of lecturers, and one said to me, "You know, the reality is, is that the work life now doesn't happen just in person, and that actually a lot of, especially digital businesses, and digital is one of the T levels that's gone out this year." their workforce is online and will be online even after the, after even the pandemic is over. So shouldn't we be giving students the opportunity to do some virtual work placements, get those skills? You know, it's a different kind of discipline working from home when you haven't got people looking over your shoulder to see, to see what you're doing. You know, shouldn't we be giving students those skills and giving them the opportunity to at least, you know, if they can't go into places, it's, but you know, you think about health and social care places placements as well they clearly can't happen because of safety reasons so shouldn't we at least give students a bit of a window into into this you know you you can gain a lot just by talking to an expert in the field that you want to be in you don't necessarily need to be you know there on on the shop floor on the factory floor to do that i think i'm sorry to say i think it's a bit short sighted to say that no virtual placements can happen and i think if they could then a lot more of the t level placements would would be happening. I think
1: part of the issue is that they can't be delayed. I certainly think it isn't feasible to delay the placements because you will have a whole other cohort of students looking for placements next year because people yeah. are starting their T-levels. So you're really just sort of kicking that can down the road if you, if you start doing that. So you can't do that. So you need to find a solution. And I mean, the minister's sort of mantra is always colleges have to rise to that challenge. Colleges have to really try and find those placements. But this isn't I don't think this is a battle that colleges can win because it's up to work place, workplaces here to to try and find those placements. And so if the workplaces simply can't cope, and I, I think there will be a lot of businesses that are, you know, struggling to get by at this point, never mind early next year, when yeah. everyone is expecting the economy to be even harder hit. You know, if, if the workplaces simply can't be taking these young people on, even if you're doing an online placement, you know, if if we were now joined by a T-level student who was doing a T-level in journalism. You know, we would still need to spend some time introducing them to the work and explaining how it yeah. works and giving them something to do. It needs manpower, and I would be very surprised if thousands and thousands of workplaces across Britain had that going spare at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's justifying it as well, isn't it? If you're making a whole load of people redundant or you've got a whole load of people on furlough, how can you justify having you know spending the time and the effort on on a T level placement? Also, you have to remember these. Students are 16, 17, they're young and actually it's not It's not the same as taking an adult and putting an adult on work experience on a work placement. I remember ages ago, before this all happened, back when Emma Hardy was the FE minister, she was talking to me about work TVL, T-level work placements and this hadn't, COVID hadn't even happened yet. And she was saying the reality is, is that these students need mental health support as well and actually they need quite a lot of pastoral care um and so she was raising concerns even then about the amount of days that they had to do and you know even the travelling to and from work and things like that and the time away from home so it's kind of that aspect of it as well you know can can businesses really take on a 16 year old who does need extra coaching extra mental health you know a bit more you know pushing and and um and encouraging
1: and the whole point it's is just, that the whole point is that they will get that that they will get that coaching and that support and you know that kind of Hand in um, into the workplace. And uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to Gillian Keegan proving us wrong, wrong. on this one.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and then so my final story of the year uh, has been something that we've both watched play out with just absolute admiration, I think. So it is, of course, Effie Food Bank Friday. Um, it's just, this is just amazing what this group, this college group has done. Um, so I think it was probably about the beginning of the pandemic, um, London Southeast Colleges group led by, you know, our TES FE leader of the year, Sam Parrott, they decided to set up FE Food Bank Friday, um, and encouraged, you know, college students and staff to donate money or donate food. And then they made them together into food parcels and gave them to the most vulnerable in their community. Very quickly, they kind of gained the support of the rest of the sector. They had more than 30 colleges join in and also they had a little um uh uh, video from Prue Leith as well so not just sector-wide support but kind of national support for this um and as far as I'm aware the the total figure so far that I've been told you know from my sources is they've managed to raise 47 and a half thousand pounds uh which is just absolutely incredible I think it really goes to show it is they kind of you know, a lot, so many teachers and so many um, people across FE have really gone above and beyond for their communities this year. And I think that FE Food Bank Friday kind of is is the best example of that, of what really can be achieved when FE collaborates together.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's lovely that they then turned this into Festive Food Bank Friday just in time for the run-up to Christmas. And, you know, the, the number of people that go in and out of colleges that require the support of either the local food bank or... college if they have a sort of food bank scheme is really much bigger than many of us you know are are aware of on a daily basis and so it was just great that the colleges decided that they needed to to offer this additional support and it just sums up the further education sector really and uh gives us a a lovely festive note to end this last podcast it
0: does it does and yeah, I think probably from both of us, you know, we we would just want to say a massive thank you to everybody across the FE sector this year for their incredibly hard work and dedication. Um, you know, and that includes the hours that you would have spent on the phone to me or Julia or the hours you have spent writing blogs for us as well. You know, we couldn't do Tes FE without all of you. So we would want to say a massive, massive thank you to you all.
1: Absolutely. And we look forward to uh, writing for you again next year and speaking to some of you in our podcasts in 2021. And, you know, if you have any story ideas, interesting blog plans, do get in touch. You know where we are. And, and in the meantime, have a great holiday season. Get a proper break. You've certainly all deserved it. And um, we'll see you again in 2021.
0: Yes. Merry Christmas, everybody. And have a wonderful new year. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: Bye.